Holy Spirit, it is good to be in your presence. It is good to be united as sisters in Christ, Lord. We thank you for the past 11 weeks of Bible study that we have gotten to gather together to worship you and to study your word. And Lord, I just pray today um, during our last season, our last day of Bible study, Lord, that these would not be my words, but that they would be your words, that um, you would just put me aside, Lord, and that you would be glorified and honored in, um, in our speaking and in our table discussion and in our praying. Uh, we want to be women who bear witness to you. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So last time I spoke, I shocked many of you with my declaration that I don't like musicals and that I fast forward through the songs. And I got a lot of concerned little hugs like, oh, I, why? And some emails, and so I just wanted to set the record straight. I am a romantic, I am an idealist, I love happy endings. I just don't like La La Land. So let's just get that out there. Something I do love is the TV show This Is Us. 12.8 million viewers watched the finale. Who watched the finale? Yes, see, most of us. We know a good show when we see it. The reason that I love this show so much is because it represents hope and restoration and redemption. Every time you watch the episode, you are guaranteed to see real life, or real people struggling through real life and it's not always wrapped up with a pretty bow at the end of the episode, but there's a redemptive thread spread throughout. And I love this show so much so that I watch it religiously every week. And sometimes Jason will be like, can I watch this with you? And I'm like, only if you're going to sit here, give it your full attention, not scroll on your phone and appreciate this with me. Because if you make little snide comments, no, only people who appreciate this can watch it with me. So usually, usually he's like, yeah, I'm out. He gives me the box of lotion tissues and walks out of the living room. And fair warning, you want to invest in lotion tissues if you watch this show because you will cry every single episode. It is that good. And so it should come as no surprise that my opening illustration is from This Is Us. So in the first season, there's been unspoken tension between Kevin, who is a 36-year-old self-centered actor, and between his stepfather, Miguel. And every single time that Miguel tries to reach out and show Kevin that he loves him or to encourage him or to affirm him, Kevin just pushes him away. He wants nothing to do with him. But there's a particularly poignant scene where Miguel finally gets a word in edgewise. Kevin is anxious about the opening of his show, and Miguel says this, Kevin, you remind me of your dad. Did you know that? The way that you move your hands when you talk, the way that you walk across the room, sometimes you remind me of him so much that the hair on my arm stands up. You are Jack Pearson's son. You have him inside of you. And when you're nervous or at your most nerve-wracking moments and the curtain's about to go up, all you have to do is remind yourself of that and you'll be fine. Miguel speaks over Kevin, you are Jack Pearson's son. And it's that affirmation, that spoken identity, that then gives Kevin the courage to live into who he's called to be. And so when the opportunity comes for Kevin to choose between his career and his brother, he actually makes a very gospel-centered choice. And he chooses his brother. And where did this come from? Why the sudden change? 
because Kevin was reminded that he is his father's son and that's what his father would do. To me, this is such a beautiful gospel moment because Kevin finally gets who his father is and that realization allows him to bear witness to who his father is. And Peter's story is similar. As we've discovered this semester, the Peter presented in the gospels is often impulsive, prideful, and self-centered. But then the Peter presented in Acts is very different. He's courageous and bold and confident. In just 50 or 60 days, Peter has gone from denying Jesus in front of a simple slave girl to preaching Jesus boldly to thousands of people, despite imprisonment, flogging, and persecution. We see Peter's impulsiveness replaced with conviction. We see Peter's pride replaced with humility. We see Peter's self-centeredness replaced with Christ-centeredness. So what changed? Why is the Peter of the Gospels different than the Peter of Acts? Quite simply, it's because Peter encountered the risen Jesus and that changed everything. When Peter witnessed the risen Jesus, it gave him the courage to spend the rest of his life living into who God had called him to be. And that was, he had called him to be a witness. And that encounter with the risen Jesus should change us too. We should hear that call to be a witness. And I know for some of us, when we hear the word witness, we may think of people who do aggressive door-to-door evangelism and then you kind of hide because you don't want to deal with the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormon at your door, and so you just quietly pretend no one's at home. Maybe they'll go away. (laughs) Or people who aggressively corner you and want to share their testimony with you. And yes, sharing your testimony is part of your witness, but we're talking about something much larger. The biblical context for witness is actually very similar to that of a legal proceeding. So if you've ever served on a jury or watched Law and Order, you will know that a witness is someone who observes the crime that takes place, and then they're called to come to court. And they share their testimony. They testify regarding what happened. And it's the witness's job to recount for the benefit of everyone the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of what he or she observed. And just like legal witnesses, we today are called to testify regarding what we have seen and heard about Jesus. You and I are called to testify regarding what we have seen and heard because disciples courageously bear witness to the Lord. If you'll recall back in John 1, Peter's discipleship journey began with his brother Andrew. It was Andrew who was a disciple of John the Baptist. He's walking alongside John the Baptist, and John goes, look, pointing to Jesus. There goes the Lamb of God. And it was Andrew who then left John for another rabbi to follow Jesus. It was Andrew who then goes and finds Peter, his brother, and says, we have found the Messiah. And and the script says, he literally took Peter to Jesus. He took Peter to Jesus. And now notice what is happening here. John the Baptist points Andrew to Jesus, and Andrew goes. And then Andrew points Peter to Jesus, and Peter goes. Each man testified as to what he had seen and heard, and disciples were made. Followers of Christ were born. 
And now, of course, Peter's not one to be outdone. And so now he's going to go and witness to others and make disciples. And sometimes he succeeds and sometimes he fails. For example, when Peter says, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God, I think we could tweet that. We could say, hashtag witness win. That was good. But when Peter says, uh, Jesus, we're never going to let you suffer. You are not going to be killed. We would tweet that as hashtag witness fail. That did not bring glory and honor to God. And I think we can all relate to Peter's successes and failures in his discipleship journey. And maybe that's one of the reasons we love Peter so much. One of the reasons that we relate to him so well. Because he has a real story. He's a real person with real sin struggles. But he also has this genuine love for God. And it's this constant battle. Who am I going to choose? Am I going to choose self or am I going to choose God? Am I going to witness to Jesus or am I going to witness to myself? And as Barb so beautifully painted for us last week, what changed Peter from being a lying coward who ran and hid in the face of persecution to being a courageous witness who preached in the face of persecution is the fact that he encountered the risen Jesus. In John 21, as we saw last week, Jesus charged Peter with two commands. And the first was, feed my sheep. And the second was, follow me. Or to put it another way, Peter, because you are my witness, because you have followed me, now I want you to go and care for my flock. I want you to go and point others to me. And so it's evident that Peter took these commands to heart because the Peter we see in Acts is dramatically different than the Peter of the Gospels. He finally got it. Peter finally understood, not just with his head, but with his heart, who Jesus is. And understanding who Jesus is gave Peter the courage to then understand who he was. He was able to correctly identify himself as a courageous witness. And so we pick up the story of this dramatically different Peter in Acts 1. The disciples are gathered together with the resurrected Jesus, and Jesus tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And he said this, and then he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from sight. Can you imagine what this moment was like? Jesus has been with them teaching for 40 days. He proclaims, stay here, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And then he ascends into heaven. And they're just kind of staring there, dumbstruck, in awe. What's next? And I love the Bible because it's written by real people inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so there's some humor in it. Because it, they, apparently they were so dumbstruck just looking up, that two angels had to appear. And in verse 11, it paraphrases kind of like they nudge him, and they're like, um, why are y'all still here? He's gone. He's not coming back. Go and do what he told you. Go and be his witnesses. Go and be his witnesses. Don't keep looking up at the sky. Go and bear witness to God. And so by this time, I think Peter's learned an important lesson. Delayed obedience is disobedience, and so Peter promptly obeys. They stay in Jerusalem, and they wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. And the Holy Spirit comes. God's personal and empowering presence comes in such a dramatic fashion that they are accused of being drunk. 
being drunk at 9 a.m. That, that would be a bad day if you're already drunk at 9 a.m. <laughs> but they weren't drunk. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter, to correct everyone, stands up and he powerfully preaches the gospel. He proclaims, God has risen this Jesus to life and we all are witnesses of it. Did you hear that? God has raised this Jesus to life and we all are witnesses of it. Peter is leaning into this new identity. He's adopting the language that Jesus used, witness. I am a witness. The man who only a few months earlier denied Jesus now boldly proclaims to several thousand people that he follows Jesus. He is a changed man. He is a witness. And we too, like Peter, are called to courageously bear witness to God. A beautiful example of our call to bear witness to God can be seen in the worship services of some African-American congregations. After sharing a spiritual testimony or an insight, sometimes the speaker will say, can I get a witness? And the purpose of this call and response is so the audience can affirm, based on their personal experience with Jesus, if that person's statement is true or not. And if they agree with what the speaker is saying, they might clap or say amen. You see, the audience has an active role to play. They're not passive. Their role is to testify according to the truth of what they know about Jesus. And long before Can I Get a Witness transitioned from worship services to pop culture, the psalmist wrote this in Psalm 66, 16. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. Let me tell you what he has done for me. This is your call as a disciple, to point others to Jesus, to in your living, in your moving, in your being, in your doing, in your everything, to point others to Jesus, to tell them of what he has done for you personally. And let's just pause right there and acknowledge the fact that some of us wouldn't be in this room today if it weren't for dear friends who had courageously pointed us to Jesus and said, this is what Jesus did for me. This is what Jesus can do for you. Do you want to go on this journey with me? Yes, Amen. yes we do. <laughs> and ladies, aren't we grateful for those men and women who pointed us to Jesus? And we want to pass on that legacy. We want to be like John the Baptist who pointed Andrew to Jesus and Andrew who pointed Peter to Jesus and Peter who pointed thousands of people to Jesus. We have been invested in. We have been pointed to Jesus, and we want to point others to Jesus. But let's be honest. The idea of witness can be intimidating. It can be frightening. It's a call to live a countercultural life. It's a call to follow Jesus wherever he leads. It's a call to surrender, obedience, and dependence on God alone. And that call is difficult, it's unpopular, and it is costly. So practically speaking, how do you go about bearing witness to God in your everyday, ordinary life? Well, first, to be an effective witness, you must know who or what you are bearing witness to. In other words, you have to know and understand what you've seen and heard before that can begin to inform your actions. You have to know and see what you've heard so that you, it can inform your actions. Now, I've not had the opportunity of serving on a jury, but I have watched my fair share of legal TV shows. Yes, they're good. 
And so I've learned that one of the first things trial lawyers always want to know is, is this witness credible? Because if the witness isn't credible, then their testimony is going to be discounted. And the um, strength of their case will be weakened if the witness isn't credible. And the principle of witness credibility is recorded in Acts 4. Peter and John have just been arrested for preaching about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And they were brought before the elders and the rulers, and they were adamantly questioned. And Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, boldly defended their actions, and they preached the gospel despite opposition. Acts 4.13 reads, When they, that's the elders and the rulers, saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that these were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Notice. These are just ordinary, courageous men who had been with Jesus. They knew Jesus, and therefore they could bear witness to Jesus. And I wonder, can the same be said of us? When people look at us, do they say, there, there is a woman who has been with Jesus? Or did they say, hmm, you know, Tiffany says she's a disciple, but I don't really see Jesus in her. I don't really see a lot of fruit. Because here's the truth. I think most of us honestly want to be known as women who love Jesus, as women who are dedicated to Jesus, as women who are living their lives and pointing toward Jesus. But friends, the hard truth that I keep running up against is this. If you want to be known as a woman who has been with Jesus, you first have to be with Jesus. I know, it sounds simplistic, but think about that. If you want to be known as a woman who has been with Jesus, you have to first be with Jesus. Think about it. It is hard to grow in a relationship with someone that you don't spend time with. It is hard to emulate or become like someone if you don't actually know that person. It is hard to be like Jesus if you are not spending time with Jesus. And for me personally, this is an area of struggle. Because at the beginning of the year, when I was praying and journaling, two words popped into my head. Slow and surrender. And I'm not a word of the year person. I've never had that before. I wasn't praying about it. But when those two words popped in, I realized this is a divine invitation from Jesus. He is asking me to step into greater intimacy with him. He is asking me to invite him um, into my into a greater degree of my heart and to live a life of surrender, to have boundaries and margin, to cut away excess, to slow down. And he's inviting me into surrender, to lay down my will, my wants, my needs, my desires, and to rest in the strength of the Lord. And so I knew full well, January 2nd of 2017, that Jesus was inviting me to a greater intimacy, to slowness and to surrender with him. But you know, knowing something and doing something are two very different things, right? This is where the speaker would say, can I get a witness? And you would say, amen. Yes, thank you, I'm not alone. Knowing and doing something are two different things. And so while I fully understood the call to be with Jesus in this greater way, I confess right now that we're three months in, four months into 2017, and I haven't been consistently obedient. I have not made spending intentional time with Jesus my top priority. 
And that's something I've had to confess and repent of to the Lord. Because my witness should reflect the one I am witnessing to. And if I want to be known as a woman who knows Jesus, I have to be with Jesus. I have to abide in Jesus. So point one, an effective witness knows who or what she bears witness to. And because we know what we have seen and heard, because we know the good news of the gospel and of Jesus Christ, we can then go forward with courage as Peter did in Acts 4.13, which brings us to point two. An effective witness goes forward with courage. Now, I think that we can all agree that Peter has always been bold and brash. He was the first one to jump out of the boat. He was the first one to brandish the sword and cut off the high priest's servant's ear. He's always been bold. But in Acts, we see that that boldness is now married with eyewitness conviction. And so we get genuine courage. That boldness has been married with eyewitness conviction. And so we get courage. We get courage because he knows who Jesus is, what he has done, and who he is in light of him. And sometimes, or several times, we see Peter jailed, and he's threatened with severe punishment in Acts. And yet, what is the first thing that Peter does the moment he gets out of jail? He goes and preaches the gospel. The moment the door is swung open and he is released and they say, don't tell anyone about Jesus or you're going to come back here, he walks right back into the temple court and begins preaching Jesus. Here's just a few examples. In Acts 4, 18 through 20, we read, Then they called them in again, them being Peter and John, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in the eyes of God, to listen to you or to him? As for us, we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. Notice this echo throughout the Bible. We cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and heard. It's as if the good news is just bubbling forth in the life of Peter, and he can't help but proclaim it. Um, I love pie, and for some reason, the image of like cherry pie just comes to mind, or apple pie. You know when you bake it, and the filling is so rich and full, it just kind of bubbles up out of the crust, and it's like this sweet, delicious surprise? For some reason, that's what I think of with Peter. He's so full of the joy of the Lord that it just bubbles forth, and he can't help but proclaim to his captors the good news of Jesus. Or how about Acts 5, which takes place again right after Peter and John have been arrested because they were speaking Jesus to others. And so beginning in verse 28, the high priest says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. But Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So this time, Peter doesn't just give a defense of what he believes. He's not just full of courage, because that's gutsy to say to your captors, you killed him by hanging him on a cross. I mean, they're in prison, and he's like, and you killed him. That's inviting further persecution. But this time he also claims that the Holy Spirit is with him. 
and that the Holy Spirit bears witness to the Father and to the Son. Ladies, that's our source of courage. We have God with us. The personal and empowering presence of God lives within us. And because God is with us, we can go forward with courage. We can go forward with boldness. Which brings us to our third point. A witness is present and aware of opportunities to bear witness to God. Now, I know it sounds obvious, but remember, in order to point someone to Jesus, you actually have to be with that person. In order to point someone to Jesus, you have to be with that person. There has to be some degree of relationship there. As the old adage goes, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so as a witness, we're to be in relationship others, with others, and we're to be attentive and discerning of opportunities in our everyday, ordinary lives to bear witness to God. So think of Peter sharing about the death and resurrection of Jesus with his captors. Was Peter present with his captors? Yes, he was in jail. It's not an ideal context, but it's the context in which he found himself. It was the context in which he was invited to preach the gospel. And did Peter have a relationship with the people he was talking to? Yeah, it wasn't a good one. He was, you know, enslaved, but he used that to the glory and honor of God nonetheless. So point three, an effective witness is present and is aware of her opportunities to bear witness to God. But I think because we admire Peter, because we think Peter's story is our story, sometimes we can close the Gospels, we can close the the book of Acts and think, good for Peter. He bore witness to God in big and dramatic ways. But that's not my story. I don't stand on the stage and preach. I don't go to South America on a mission trip. I don't sit next to someone on the plane and every single time share Jesus with them. I don't do any of those things. So I'm not an effective witness. But here's the truth. A disciple bears witness to God in her everyday, ordinary life. A witness can't just take off witnessing. As a believer, as a Christ follower, you bear the image of God. And everywhere you go, you are bearing that image. You can't take it off. It is with you always. And so in the big moments, in the insignificant moments, and everything in between, Jesus is inviting us to point to him and to tell this lost and broken and dying world who he is. So for you personally in your everyday ordinary life, what might this look like? Where might Jesus be inviting you to bear witness to him, to tell others of what you have seen and heard? For example, perhaps your child throws a temper tantrum in the grocery store and a customer passing by gives some little pithy remark about your poor parenting skills. (laughs) That is infuriating. But what might bearing witness to God look like in this instance? Probably wouldn't be, you know, dressing her up and down and telling her where she came from. It would probably be choosing to not respond in kind to practice gentleness and humility. And in so doing, you proclaim that God is merciful and loving and that he doesn't give us what we deserve. 
Or perhaps you're not particularly passionate about your job. You're grateful for the paycheck, but it's just ho-hum. It doesn't bring a lot of joy or satisfaction. What might bearing witness to God look like in this instance? I think it could mean going faithfully to your job every day, doing your job with excellence, and being kind and courteous to your coworkers. Because in so doing, you're proclaiming, God, you're my provider, and I'm grateful for that. And God, you are love, and therefore I will seek to love my neighbors, my coworkers. Or what if you learned that a neighbor just lost a parent and is deeply grieved? And now this neighbor is the annoying one on your cul-de-sac who lets her dog poop in your yard, and you know, it's just kind of she doesn't she doesn't want to be in community, and she's even told you, I don't I don't want to know anything about Jesus. Just keep that to yourself. What might bearing witness to God look like in this situation? It might mean that you take a meal over to her, that you hug her, and that you simply say, I am so sorry for your loss. I'm praying for you. And in so doing, you're proclaiming that God is gracious and that he comforts us in our sorrows, that he sees us, that he hears us, that he knows us. Ladies, that's the gospel. In your doing, in your living, in your being, in your everyday ordinary life, taking advantage of those big and small opportunities to bear witness to God. And friends, as a disciple and follower of Jesus, you are part of the sent people of God. In your living, your doing, your thoughts, your speech, your actions, everything, we have the opportunity to declare the good news of Jesus to a hungry world. And Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And this is the message version. But you, you ladies, women of IBC, you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Sisters, this is our calling, plain and simple. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to work and speak out for him. We are to tell others of the night and day difference that he has made in our lives. We are to tell others how Jesus took us from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Verse 10, ladies, is the gospel in one sentence. I once was rejected due to my sin, but now I'm accepted due to the blood of Christ. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. And so friends, there's just two simple questions for you today. One, have you encouraged and experienced the risen Jesus as your savior? And two, if you have encountered and experienced the risen Jesus as your savior, how is he inviting you to bear witness to him in your everyday, ordinary life? Because the invitation from Jesus to Peter was simple. Follow me and be my witness. And Jesus calls the same thing to you and me today. Follow me. Be my witness. And so as we conclude Bible study today and look ahead to this summer, that is my prayer for you.
Please bow your heads. Lord Jesus, use us as your witnesses in our speaking, our working, and our living. May we declare your praises. May we show others the night and day difference that you have made in our lives. Use us for your glory and continue to grow us as your disciples. We want to follow you. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.